0: Well,
1: you have it. You are now tuned in to the pocket space and just set back and made a plane. Let me take your thoughts thought, thought away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Hey, my intergalactic squad of Star Wars fanatics, Kyle here, and you are now tuned into the most epic Star Wars show on the web, Star Wars Audio Archives. Get ready for a hyperspace excursion that will leave you all struck. We're about to investigate Part 8 of Federal Alliance, and my anticipation is sky-high. What surprises does this journey have in store? Are you prepared to blast off? And let's get right to it.
0: Part 4. Sabaddon. It was an unassuming name, Ula thought, as the Auriga fire shook around him, for a colony that shouldn't exist. Sabaddon. You know we're insane, don't you? Jet said over the sound of the ship's straining hyperdrives. If a black hole's mass shadow doesn't tear us to pieces, its gravity will suck us in when we arrive. We plotted the course to account for either possibility, said Chigar. We'll be okay. Probably. I'll try not to think about it, said Ula, through ground teeth. I'm just trying not to throw up, said Lorraine. Ula twisted in his seat to look back at her She winked How much longer? Shigar asked His calm confidence was infuriating Ula didn't know how Jet put up with it Somewhere between a minute and never Less likely the latter The ship creaked from nose to tail As though something had grabbed it at either end and twisted Ula clutched the arms of his chair and closed his eyes This wasn't what he had signed up for Being an informer was supposed to be sitting in the shadows, stealing information, and plotting the odd assassination. It wasn't fighting killer droids, being tortured by Mandalorians, or diving headlong into a black hole. That's what cipher agents did. A strong hand gripped his elbow. His eyes flickered open. Don't worry, said Loren. We'll make it. He nodded and forced his hands to release their grip on the chair. Let her think he was reassured, when in fact he was the exact opposite. Shigar's psychometric revelation had raised her faith in him to new heights, although there was a new tension between them now, as though their relationship had fundamentally shifted. That, Ula thought, might be the most galling thing about his situation. Her hand slipped away, her good hand. The one cut in half by the Sith was encased in a mechanical glove, a paddle-like mitten that enabled her to grip little more. That was the full extent of the Ariga fire's prosthetic provisions. The ship lurched again. Clunker came forward, swaying and rocking, and ran a cable from his midsection into the main console. What's he doing? Ula asked, sinking his mind to the ship's computer, said Jet past his droid's battered casing. You're letting him fly the ship? He's got a good head on his shoulders, and his reaction time's much faster than mine. As if to disprove Jet's assertion, the Auriga fire tilted alarmingly to starboard, then whipped back to port. Ula was thrown about in his seat harness, but somehow Clunker managed to stay both upright and plugged in. A moment later, the ship's flight grew calm. The vibrations eased. The complaints from both Hyperdrive and Hull receded into the background. The knot of tension in Ula's stomach began to unwind. ''Okay,'' said Jet, punching buttons. ''It's coming up now.'' Hold on. Ula stiffened again as the warped textures of hyperspace receded. Normally, a speed-stretched vista of stars would take its place. But out here, on the very fringes of the galaxy, they were pointing out into the relative black. Only the faint light of distant stellar islands existed to be warped by the ship's motion. With a gut-roiling wrench, the Auriga fire returned to real space, and the shaking resumed. Jet shut down the hyperdrives and put the repulsors on full. Ula was pressed into his seat as the ship came about. Sensors swept the sky ahead, revealing vistas unseen by anyone apart from Lima Zandret and her companions in the history of the galaxy. It was much lighter than Ula had expected. That was his first impression. As the ship hove about and the black hole came into view, he saw not a dark absence of light but two bright yellow jets squirting from either pole of the singularity. That was what remained at the hole's last meal. A dead star, perhaps, or a lonely gas giant that had been unfortunate enough to cross paths with this bottomless monster. As though someone had crammed too much food into their mouth at once, some of the meal squirted back into space, blazing away like celestial torches against the backdrop of the galaxy. The second thing Ula noticed was the galaxy itself, The ship and its passengers were far enough away from the galaxy's inhabited disk that they could see it from the outside. A beautiful spiral with a fat central bulge. It occupied almost half the sky. As it swung into view, Ula forgot his anxieties for a moment and experienced nothing but breathless awe. Every nebula, cluster, and gulf was revealed to him with more clarity and beauty than any map could show. It was hard to believe that something so sublime... Could be the locus of so much war and grief. There's the planet, said Jet, playing his instruments like a maestro. Sabaddon? Where? Shigar peered out the spectacular vista. There. Jet indicated the display. Ula could see nothing more than a dot. It's farther out than I expected. We'll loop around the hole and catch it on the upswing. Is that safe? Ula asked. Relatively. As long as we don't come too close. Ula didn't want to ask. Relative to what? Shigar was watching the display. No sign of any other ships, he said. There's a small moon. How could it have a moon? Asked Hedge from the seat behind Ula. How could it be here at all? Added Lorraine. A black hole will kill you if you come too close, said Shigar. But not if you're at a safe distance. Things can easily orbit it. Sabaton, any random piece of junk had snapped up over the years Us The way the ship was rattling didn't make Ula feel remotely safe What about heat? He asked Those jets are hot, but not that hot As the planet orbits the hole's gravity will stretch and squeeze it stopping its core from solidifying I bet we'll see volcanoes when we get closer That must be what's bringing all the rare metals to the surface and carbon dioxide too which would also help keep the atmosphere warm. The jets were getting visibly larger ahead. Clunker remained plugged in. Sabadin was still invisible to the naked eye, and Ula gave up looking for it. An alarm sounded. Ships, said Jet. Behind us, exactly where we came out. Who do they belong to? asked Loren. Wait till we've gone around. Then I'll be able to tell you. The display dissolved into static as they fell deeper into the black hole's frighteningly intense magnetic field. A smell of ozone filled the cockpit. Anything containing iron began to vibrate at an annoyingly high pitch. There was no sense of weight because they were free-falling around the hole, using its gravitational pull to launch them out to where the planet was orbiting. Still, Ula felt as though he was being simultaneously stretched and squeezed just like Shigar had described when talking about the planet. Tidal effects, they were called. His lungs struggled to pull in enough air, and purple spots danced in front of his eyes. Then they were passed, and the pressure began to ease. He sagged back into the chair, sweating heavily, and thanking the Emperor he was still alive. Right, said Jet. That's the hard part, over. Thanks, Clunker. one coming up ahead. We'll make orbital insertion in about a minute. As for those ships... He scanned the revived sensor displays. Or camp 15 with Republic transponder codes. Stantors must have moved Coruscant itself to get them here this fast. Shigar nodded. It was clear he too was impressed. No sign of Stryver? That's what the scopes say. What about the Empire? Asked Ula. The only ships here are those fifteen and us, said Jet. How would the Sith know where to come, anyway? asked Lorin. They didn't have the comp. They might have thought of something else, like we did, said Ula, trying to keep his hopes up, even though he phrased it as a warning. Best not to underestimate them. Indeed, Lorin said. There it is, she added, pointing through the forward ports. Ula craned to see. Sabadin was a small world, scarred by tectonic activity, just as Shigar had predicted. Its surface ranged from gray basalt to red glowing mantle, exposed to the atmosphere by constant plate motion. The atmosphere was dense enough to breathe, and showed signs of both clouds and precipitation. There were no oceans, just the occasional shining surfaces on the cooler parts of the planet that might have been lakes. If that's water, Lorin said... The surface could actually be habitable. Near one of the lakes was a cluster of bright radiation sources, indicating a city of some kind. Elsewhere on the unfolding globe were other bright points, possibly mines or smaller settlements. Someone's been busy, said Jet. How long have they been here? We don't know, said Shigar. I'd guess twenty years, assuming only a small group to start with. The infrastructure is patchy, and there's some places they haven't spread out to you yet. Jet pointed at the viewscreen as he talked. There were no ships in orbit or satellites. The tiny moon was completely untouched. Do you want me to hail them? He asked. No, Shigar told him. Wait for Master Shan to arrive. She should be the one to make first contact. What about Ula? Asked Lorin. He's the Republic envoy. No offense, "'said Shigar, turning to speak directly to Ula. "'Someone superior to both of us should handle this. "'I hope you understand. "'Completely,' he said with manufactured grace. "'He would have preferred to bungle a Republic approach to the valuable world "'in the hope that his enemy's overtures would be repulsed. "'But there was no way to argue the point without making people suspicious. "'He would just have to bide his time and hope another opportunity arose.' The Auriga fire slipped neatly into a long, polar orbit around Sabadan, and the ship's engines fell blessedly quiet. Clunker disconnected himself and returned to his place in the corner. It had been hours of racket and mayhem ever since they'd commenced the last jump, and Ula was profoundly glad it was over. Jet clearly shared his sentiments. The smuggler stood up and tapped at the shielding above the instrument panels. Come on, he muttered. "'I know it's here somewhere.' "'A hidden panel popped open, and he slipped a hand inside. "'Aha! Those fragging huts didn't find everything, thank goodness.' "'The hand reappeared in view, holding a slender bottle of golden liquid. "'Jet cracked the seal and knocked back a swig. "'Anyone else for a toast?' "'To making it alive, despite crazy passengers and unreliable directions.' "'Jet's behavior went largely ignored.' For the moment, all eyes were on Master Satiel's approaching flotilla. Like Jet, she had chosen to come around the black hole rather than try to power outward against its considerable pull. The vast forces acting on the ships were much more apparent from the outside. Ula was shocked by the speeds they reached at their closest points to the black hole. One of them failed to make the correct insertion and drifted just a fraction off its course. Instantly, the hole snatched at it, tumbling it end over end into the gaping maw. It disappeared with a scream of X-rays. One by one, the remaining 14 ships came out the other side, shaken but intact. See if you can raise them yet, said Shigar. Code word, Hawkbat. Will do. Jet capped the bottle and put it away before turning to the comm. Long-range subspace is scrambled by the singularity, so you can't call home. But we should be able to open short-range transmissions with them in a moment or two. Weird to think that this all could be over in a few minutes, said Lorin, as Jet attempted to hail the approaching ships. I mean, Stryver has either lost interest or fallen into the hole. The Empire has no clue where we've gone. Once Master Shan gets in touch with Lima Zandrit, our job is done. You've forgotten the huts, said Ula. If they have put a homing device on the ship, they'll soon track us down. Only if they're looking for the signal in the right direction. And who'd think to look up here? It's the perfect hiding place. Jed had a point, but Ula didn't want to admit it. Once Sabadin was annexed by the Republic, there was nothing he could do but report the planet's position when he returned to Coruscant, long after the issue of its ownership had been resolved. His mission was on the brink of utter failure... And there didn't seem to be much he could do about it. That Mandalorian seemed pretty canny to me, chimed in Hetschke. I can't see him falling into a black hole unless he was pushed. I'm of the same mind, said Shigar. It would be unwise to assume we've seen the last of him. Got her, said Jet, falling back into his seat in satisfaction. Go ahead, Grandmaster. Very good work, Shigar. Crackled the voice of Satil Shan from the subspace communicator. Thank you, Master. The Padawan was clearly buoyed by the praise. The Supreme Commander would like you to return Envoy VE to Coruscant as soon as possible. With your permission, said Shigar, we'd like to join the companies you brought with you and observe the negotiations. Hang on a minute, mate, said Jet, but Shigar cut him off. We've been chasing Lima Zandrit for so long, it seems a shame to come all this way and just turn back. Ula didn't know what he thought about that prospect. On the one hand, he expected nothing more interesting than very familiar diplomatic wrangling. On the other, he was in no hurry to report his failure to either of his masters. "'I expected that,' Master Satil replied, with the hint of a smile in her voice. "'Colonel Gurin has command of the fleet.' I'll suggest you fall in with second company and take the place of the ship we lost. Expect tactical feed shortly. Thank you again, Master, Shigar said, surrendering control of the comm to an unhappy Jet Nebula. Already instructions and telemetry were flowing into the Origa fire from the approaching ships. When Jet patched his ship's computer into the feed, it would become part of a much larger tactical entity, no longer a free agent. Cheer up. Said Shigar to Jet with a grin. You've worked for the Republic before, haven't you? Sure, but only for their money, not for glory or the fun of it like you seem to. It won't be for long. I just want to see this. You're not fooling anyone, Shigar. I know you don't want to make good on your deal with Tassabarish. Shigar pulled down the corners of his mouth, but said nothing to deny the charge. The cruiser Master Satil occupied hove past them a golden lozenge that looked deceptively smaller than it actually was, with a command cell protruding like an insect sting from the rear, and a hull studded with turbolaser and ion cannon blasters. By craning his neck, Ulu could make out the telemetry streaming into the Auriga fire. The cruiser was called the Corellia. He recognized its name from Supreme Command Stantor's reports. Jet surrendered his ship to Republic Command... Soon, they were just one of eight vessels obeying instructions from Colonel Gurin. The assembly of ships moved smoothly into a lower orbit, juggling course and attitude changes with confident ease. Cheerfully, business-like inner-ship chatter filled the calm, both biological and droid. Clunker's usual blank posture became more attentive. ULA, too, listened closely for valuable intel. In such tense times, military protocols changed almost daily, I'm registering activity down below, said Jet. Xandret and the people know we're here. Why aren't they saying anything, then? Asked Lorin. Perhaps they're shy. What kind of activity? Asked Shigar. Heat dumps mainly. Perhaps reactors firing up. A couple look like industrial sites, but their signatures are off the scale. Are you passing the data on to Colonel Gorin? He's seeing exactly what we're seeing. "'unless he's admiring the view elsewhere.' "'The galaxy formed a beautiful pinwheel backdrop "'as Satil Shan made her first broadcast to the people of Sabadin. "'My name is Grandmaster Satil Shan,' she said, "'broadcasting on all frequencies, "'since most commonly used bands were clogged by radiation from the black hole. "'I come not in the name of the Republic, "'but on behalf of the upholders of peace and justice across the galaxy.' What's that all about? asked Hetchki. It's Jedi double-talk, said Lorin. She doesn't want the Sabadonites to think they're about to be invaded. Even though she's riding at the head of a fleet of Republic warships? Even so. Shigar raised a hand for silence. No one had replied, so Master Satil was trying again. We have reason to believe that a diplomatic mission sent from Sabaton was intercepted before it could reach its destination. We are not responsible for its destruction, but I wish to convey to you our sincerest regrets. And to share with you the data we have collected regarding this unfortunate incident. More activity, said Jet. Those hotspots are getting really hot. Are you sure they're not volcanoes? asked Loren. He didn't reply, and neither did the people of Sabaton to Satil Shan's last message. They could be volcanoes, said Ula, unwilling to dismiss any suggestion Lorin made, even one intended as a joke. It would make sense to tap into geothermal power on a world like this. If they found a way to store and release that power, that could be what we're seeing here. Or they could be launch sites, said Jet. If they're sending up a welcoming party, why wouldn't they say so? It might not be the sort of welcoming party you're thinking of. I have come to speak with Lima Zandret. The Grandmaster tried a third time. I have reason to believe that she might be your leader. At last, something broke the silence from the planet. A woman's voice came over the airwaves, crackling faintly with interference. We have no leader. Very well said Master Satil. but am I speaking to Lima now we ask only to be left alone you have nothing to fear from us I swear it we've come to talk and to offer you protection if you need it you're under no obligation to offer anything in return we do not recognize your authority Ula's skin crawled that's what the hexes said she sounds just like them Shigar was nodding. This must be Xandrit. The Hexes share her voice and her philosophies because she was the one who made them. We have no wish to impose any kind of authority upon you, Master Satil was saying. We ask only to be left alone, Xandrit repeated. Those hot spots are about ready to erupt, said Jet in ominous tones. Give me the calm, Shigar said. Master, I don't think talking is going to work. She's as stubborn as her droids. I suggest finding another approach. The Grand Master was already talking. Perhaps I could speak with you face to face. That might help us reach an understanding. Just me and my Padawan, in a place of your choosing. The last thing I want is for you or your leaders to feel threatened or intimidated. I- we have no leader! Sandric shouted. We do not recognize your authority! Here it comes, said Jet, calling up in the viewscreen several bright flashes from the surface of the world. They look like missiles to anyone else? Ula peered closely at the image. His knowledge of military hardware was patchy, but the rapidly rising dots did have a lethal air. For a start, they moved quickly, accelerating many times faster than most crude ships would risk in atmosphere. There were eight of them long and sleek. They spiraled like fireworks as they rose, presenting a much more difficult target to the ships above. The Auriga fire lurched underneath him, responding to telemetry from the Corellia. As one, all fifteen ships changed course in response to the rising threat. There's your answer, said Lorin. Someone is definitely taking this seriously. Fine, said Jet, but I'm not slaving my ship to anyone while it's under fire. Wait! said Shigar, but it was too late. Jet had already broken the short-lived connection between his ship and those of the Republic. With a flash of its repulsors, the Auriga fire peeled away from Second Company and accelerated to a higher orbit. Behind them, the ships of the Republic adopted battle formation, with the Corellia in the center and support vessels in a crisp tetrahedron around it. While fighters launched from hangar decks, its cannons trained on the approaching targets. The Grand Master said nothing, and the usual interfleet chatter ceased. Fall in line, Auriga Fire! came a terse request from the Corellia. Fall in line! Jet ignored it, but kept the tactical feed open. This doesn't make any sense, said Ula, thinking out loud. If Sandrit wants to stay isolated so badly, why would she want to talk to the Mandalorians? I'd have thought that's exactly the wrong thing to do. Maybe the Sindhin represent everyone here. Lorin said maybe the people who blew themselves up were a dissident group and why attack rather than talk he asked moving on to his next point of puzzlement firing without provocation is madness without a doubt said Shigar. they practically signed their own death warrant defensive fire a dense net of turbo laser pulses and ion torpedoes converged on the eight missiles the nose of each missile activated a defensive shield not dissimilar to the one seen on a much smaller scale on Hata. mirror bright they reflected laser pulses perfectly and even deflected a large number of torpedoes the space between the Corellia and the planet below was suddenly full of explosions out of that stew of hot gases only six missiles emerged The debris of the two that had been hit tumbled on, following their final momentum. Tiny white dots gleamed in the light of the black hole's jets. The six missiles hit another wave of defensive fire. The shields flashed again, blinking on and off in rapid succession. To conserve power, Hula assumed. The missiles weren't large. They couldn't defend themselves forever against this kind of assault. But they didn't have to. Four of the original eight were now close enough to the capital ships to be an imminent threat. Fighters engaged, strafing the missiles from all directions at once. The shields couldn't cover every possible approach. Three missiles faltered, their drive systems crippled and their sides spewing clouds of debris. The last thundered on, aimed squarely at the Corellia. The look on Shigar's face was painful to see. His master was aboard that ship and a missile of that size was bound to do considerable damage, perhaps even destroy the Corellia outright. Ula wondered if she was hurrying for an escape pod at that very moment, hoping to outrun her fate. The missile survived the final wave of defensive fire and struck the Corellia just forward of its star drive. Ula winced automatically, expecting a giant explosion. None came. The missile hit the golden hull with enough force to tear a hole right through it, but instead simply vanished inside. A blast of air and other gases roared out of the hole. No fire. The missile didn't blow up. Fleet comms rose up again, betraying a slightly frantic note. Colonel Gurin was on the air, reassuring everyone that the cruiser was intact. There were no more launches visible from the ground. The attack from Sabaton appeared to have completely fizzled. The clouds of debris from the seven fallen missiles, still rising under their own momentum, began to arrive. Some of it was scraps of torn hulls and engines. much consisted of the same white dots Ula had glimpsed earlier. They sparkled like snowflakes in sunlight, drifting around the Republic ships in undirected streams. Can we get a closer look at that stuff? He asked, "'If the missiles weren't packed with explosives, "'maybe they weren't missiles at all.' "'Jet complied, focusing the ship's sensors on a nearby patch. "'The white dots resolved into blobs, "'swimming like amoebas against the black sky. "'I'll see if I can increase the resolution,' he said. "'The view crystallized. "'The blobs became hexagonal objects waving six slender legs. "'Ula felt a wave of alarm.' Hexes. Thousands upon thousands of hexes. Get us away from them, said Chigar. Put me through to Colonel Gurin. The view shifted to show one of the Republic attack vessels. The hexes were thicker there. Where the hexes encountered one another, they linked arms and bodies to form larger objects long strings nets or clumpy balls the cruiser drifted among them blissfully unaware even as the drifting hexes found purchase on its hull get those ships out of there Shigar shouted into the subspace communicator they're in terrible danger the reply was crackling and intermittent spirits please repeat your message behind his voice was the shrieking of alarms Ula peered past Shigar to where the Corellia hung against the globe of the planet. Red fire now licked at the rent left by the missile. On Hutta, four hexes had almost beaten a Jedi, a Sith, and a Mandalorian. Over Sabaton, a missile's entire payload of hexes had been released into the body of a cruiser. You could only imagine what kind of damage such droids were causing in their hundreds among ordinary troops. Forget the Corellia, said Jed. We have to warn the others. He switched the comm to General Broadcast. This is the Auriga fire. You are under attack. Use your fighters and gun emplacements to clear your hull. Then break orbit and head for clear space. The missiles contain the hexes we saw on Hutter. They'll rip you apart if you don't get clear of them. Tell them to ignore all orders from the Corellia said Ula. If the network is compromised, the hexes could sow misinformation, or worse. Jet took up the advice and passed it on to the other ships. Only then did Ula kick himself for helping the Republic. But he couldn't sit by and watch thousands of people die. The Republic had won the race. There was no advantage to be gained by assisting a slaughter. A blast of powerful static drowned out all communications for a second. Then a new voice spoke from the Corellia. We do not recognize your authority That's the Hexes speaking Said Lorin They've taken control The is launching escape pods Said Chagar pointing We have to get in closer The pods will be able to dodge the Hexes better than the big ships But they need somewhere to rendezvous We can give them that until someone else arrives Alright Said Jet tight-lipped I want you and Lorin on the trilasers Keeping our path clear just one of those things gets in here, we're all dead. Shigar rose from his seat and vanished with Lorin back into the ship. Ula, up here, said Jeff, waving at the empty co-pilot seat. Hedgekey, you'll be on tractor control. Klunker, stop the signals of the Corellia messing with our systems. The droid came forward to jack himself into the ship's computer again. As Ula changed seats, he noticed a bright flashing light on the instrument panel in front of Jeff. Is that important? Maybe, but it's one thing we don't have time to worry about right now. Jet punched buttons in fast sequence across the instrument panel. We have more company. Ula adjusted his view screen so it pointed back at the black hole. By the light of the jets, he made out a string of ships emerging from hyperspace. A large cruiser and numerous smaller vessels strung out in two precise lines. He recognized their configuration immediately, and a surge of surprise swept through him. Imperial ships. But how? Striver had the Navicomp. They must have tracked him down and taken it from him. That would explain why there was no sign of the Mandalorian in the system. Adrenaline made his heart pound harder and faster. Yes, it made sense. More than how they had gotten here, though, their very presence meant that there was still hope for an Imperial victory. With the Republic forces in such disarray, it would be easy to swoop in and overwhelm them. Only with difficulty did he suppress a trite grin. Sabatin would become the Empire's prize after all, and his mission would not have failed. Then he remembered where he was, and all thoughts of victory fell away. The Auriga Fire was helping the Republic. If the Empire beat the Republic, he would be dead. Aghast, he stared at the screen as the Imperial engines fired up their drives and powered into attack. Axe gripped the metal rail separating the senior command post from the rest of the bridge. Her knuckles were white. She had never before experienced such turbulence in hyperspace. Pilots sometimes bragged of navigating the singularity rich maw and told stories of ships lost there in bizarre circumstances. She'd always thought them likely to be exaggerated. Now, however, battling the influence of just one black hole, she wondered if she had been a bit hasty in her judgment. It hadn't seriously occurred to her that she might be snuffed out of the universe by something as simple as a navigational accident. If this last jump from Sicarpus V hadn't been calculated to the greatest degree of precision possible, with an ear-splitting groan, the Paramount burst back into real space. A new kind of force immediately gripped the bulk cruiser, sending its crew rushing about to compensate for it. Axe let go of the rail and stood straight, lest anyone think her weak. We have arrived at the coordinates, Darth Kratos. The colonel was as thin as a medical droid, and his expression betrayed as much emotion. All vessels are accounted for. Very good, Kalish. Show me where we are. Images danced around them, projected on massive view screens and hollow projectors around the bridge. The jets of the black hole were the first thing Axe noticed, stabbing like shining blades away from an invisible central point. They looked like narrowed eyes staring back at the galaxy in hatred. From the outside, the galaxy's potential was completely revealed to her. With so many systems under her control, what couldn't she achieve? We have located a planet! "'said the colonel, relaying a report delivered by one of his many underlings. "'We believe it to be the one called Sabaton.' Axe quelled a sudden rush of excitement. "'She could betray nothing in front of her master. "'Relief, ambition, hope.' "'The screen shifted. "'A world torn and twisted by gravitational forces appeared before them, "'blurred with distance. "'My lord,' said the colonel, "'the most energy-efficient route is around the black hole.' A map appeared in one of the view screens, showing a dotted line looping past the Singularity, then rising to meet the planet at Apogee. On your command, I will issue the orders to the fleet captains.
1: Normally, I prefer the
0: direct approach, Darth Kratos said, peering through slitted eyelids at the views before him. What is this I see here? One long finger picked out a particular view. Energy spikes... Drive signatures. The colonel cast a cold, questioning stare at his bridge staff. It, it appears to be a space battle, my lord, ventured one of them, standing timorously in the spotlight. Identify those ships, barked the colonel. I want to know who sent them. Yes, sir. The girl who had spoken sat down and began hammering furiously at her workstation. Axe wondered who could be fighting out there. Stryver had the navicom and she had the only whole Hex remnant. Therefore, it couldn't possibly be the Republic. Could the Mandalore have formed an army so quickly? What could have roused him to unify his people against this strange outpost rather than a more credible enemy? Republic ship sir, called someone from the bridge staff, proving her wrong. Definitely Republic. And they're taking a hammering, sir. No other visible combatants, but there may have been launches from the ground. Darth Kratus grinned. And Axgrind with him. The Republic had made its move and was being rebuffed. How much easier then to swoop in as the savior and liberate the planet right into the Emperor's arms? Take us in, Colonel Kalish, Darth Kratos said. Launch all fighters and prepare for battle. At this distance, our fighters will not be able to break free of the Black Hole's gravitational pull, Kalish said, smoothly countermanding the order. The moment it is safe, my lord, I will launch them. Very well, hissed the Sith Lord. That will have to do. He wasn't used to anything as lowly as physics standing between him and his wishes. Full power, all engines, Kalish ordered the fleet. Lock courses and prepare to engage. The Imperial fleet came about, straining to reverse the considerable momentum it had already gained just by being in the Black Hole's powerful gravitational field. The Paramount's engines roared and rumbled, casting a bright blue light across those ships coming up in its wake. The lighter cruisers fared better than the massive bulk cruiser and its heavier support vessels. They caught up and began to draw ahead. It soon became abundantly clear that Kalisha's original advice had been sound. Instead of picking up velocity as they whipped around the singularities event horizon, propelled by freely available gravity... They would struggle to gain every drop of Delta V wrung out of the engines at great expense. Their progress was painfully slow. Axe could feel her master's impatience growing. Redoubled because he knew he could say nothing, threaten no one. This was his decision, and his responsibility alone. The crew worked around him in perfect efficiency and with maximum effort. All knew that Darth Kratos would vent his frustration on the first person to fail him in the slightest possible way. Axe watched the long-range telemetry closely, eager to learn anything she could about the planet's forces. What she saw puzzled her deeply. There were no ships apart from those belonging to the Republic. Furthermore, there was no obvious assault being conducted from the ground. It looked like the Republic fleet was fighting nothing at all. Even stranger... The Republic ships appeared to be attacking one another. Half the fleet appeared to be retreating, while the other half either did nothing or actively impeded the rest. As she watched, one small cruiser suddenly switched its drives to full, propelling it wildly into another ship, disintegrating both. It was as though something had infected half the fleet, driving it mad. Darth Kratos studied the same data with a deeply suspicious expression. Axe wondered if he thought it was a trap. But to what end? The Republic couldn't possibly benefit from the destruction of its own ships. Would you like me to hail either party? The colonel asked. No, said Axe. Darth Kratos and Kalish both turned to her in surprise. Master, I advise against explicitly identifying us as servants of the Emperor, she said. Remember that we are the enemy in Lima Zandrit's eyes. ''Perhaps the traitorous Heridian will change her mind,'' said Darth Kratos. ''Now that these weak-willed fools have found her!'' With a blinding flash, the Republic's capital ship exploded, casting debris in all directions. Axe shielded her eyes against the glare. ''They're certainly not putting up much of a fight,'' she said. Half the Republic's ships had been destroyed or crippled. The rest were regrouping and recalling their fighters.'' Regardless, the situation is clear. Sabaddon is no longer a secret. Sandrit must choose to bow to the Emperor's will or face the consequences. She'll never agree to her own execution. Darth Kratos studied her with cold eyes. Naturally, I will say nothing of the fate in store for her. Cease your questioning of my orders. Colonel Kalish announce our presence to the citizens of sabadden and advise them that we will be taking possession of their world once we have cleared the skies of this republic rebel yes my lord axe went back to studying the view screens the firing pattern of the republic ships looked wrong to her although she couldn't quite put a finger on what disturbed her about it still no launches from the ground although infrared showed numerous sites of activity Cities and factories, Axe assumed, that would be bombed for certain if Xandrit resisted. Axe's instincts told her that victory wasn't going to come as easily as an announcement of the Empire's intent to annex the world. But at the same time, she couldn't see how a small, ground-based civilization could hope to prevail against the high ground of space. Even if they did have a mysterious weapon that drove ships and their crews crazy. The Republic forces must have been taken by surprise, so she was forced to assume Colonel Kalish would be sure not to make the same mistakes they had no response came from the ground to the Paramount's hail apart from garbled transmissions on Republic Frequencies the bands were empty they ignore us said Darth Kratos. at their peril launching fighters in two minutes my lord said Kalish Axe was already heading for the exit from the bridge ready my interceptor she called behind her. I'm going to take a closer look. It took her a minute to descend from the bridge to the hangar deck, but it felt like forever. Her Mark VII Advanced Interceptor had been shipped from Drummond Coss with the rest of Darth Kratos's material, and kept fully fueled in case a fast launch was required. The ground crew had it warming up and ready for her by the time she got there. Its familiar jutting veins reassured her in a way that no amount of deceptive diplomacy could. Forgoing a full flight suit, she slipped a helmet over her dreadlocks, climbed aboard, and activated the internal navicom. It showed her the projected course of the many wings about to launch around her. She switched that off and mapped out her own trajectory. The hangar crews retreated as fighters began to stream out of the cruiser. The launches were clean and well-timed, despite their pilots' eagerness to engage. Axe slipped into their formation with ease a sleek black Predator surrounded by willing but lesser pack mates. She listened to the comms as she monitored the fleet's disposition, but didn't respond. Wave after wave of angular black ISF interceptors streamed away from the Paramount and its ancillary vessels. They were easily a match for the XA-8 and PT-7 starfighters the Republic had launched. Ship-mounted cannons selected targets and prepared to fire on the Republic craft. The range was slightly long, but the still stately pace of the capital ships ensured a solid base to fire from. A lucky shot or two wasn't impossible. Ahead, the vast field of wreckage left by the destruction of the main Republic cruiser was spreading at speed. Only as she neared it did Axe realize what had troubled her about the Republic ship's behavior. The surviving ships were firing into the cloud, not at their own renegade vessels. She peeled away from the wing she had been shadowing and headed directly for the cloud. Your primary targets are the damaged vessels, came the orders from the Paramount. Enemy fighters secondary. We will engage the rest. Fire at will. The sky lit up as a smaller Republic ship exploded. Against that cruel light were silhouetted thousands of floating objects suspended in space. Some were spinning circles. Others were edge-on lines. All were instantly recognizable as hexes. The droid's axe had fought on Hutta, the regular hexagonal bodies identical and faceless, apart from the utter blackness of their sensory pods. As she flew among them now, they reached for her with spider-like legs, firing bolts of plasma from their hand weapons to propel them forward. In that instant, she understood. ''Paramount! Recall the fighters immediately!'' Get them away from the debris field. It's full of hexes. She fired as she flew, destroying one hex with every pulse from her fighter's ion cannon. For every one she killed, however, three more appeared in her scopes. They're only droids, came back the reply from the Paramount. What harm can they do against starfighters? Put me through to Darth Kratos, she snapped. Someone's head would roll for this. Master, the Republic ships have been infected with hexes. That's why they're self-destructing and turning on one another. I don't know how the infection occurred, but the debris field is full of hexes. Our targeting priority should be them first, then the fleeing ships. You want us to abandon a golden opportunity to rout the Republic in order to play target practice against a handful of machines? Darth Kratos' reply was full of contempt. Colonel Kalisha's orders stand. Axe heard one of the bridge crew call out from the background. Launches! She looked at her telemetry and saw what the Paramount had detected. Four missiles were rising from the surface of Sabaton. Full of hexes, she bet. Not conventional explosives. Plus, all of the infected Republic ships, still capable of controlled flight, were abandoning their chase of the others and coming around to ram the Imperials. The colonel's imperious broadcast to the citizens of Sabaton hadn't been ignored at all. Move the fleet, she told her master. You'll be caught between them if you continue on that course. The paramount neither responded nor changed course. A wave of anti-missile fire was streaking out to intercept the ascending threats. She could only hope it would be enough. Around her, hexes swarmed and clutched at the Imperial fighters. Some had linked arms to form wide nets and webs across the sky. Any ship that strayed too close was bound up and crushed. Other hex groups formed whips capable of slinging individual hexes to incredible speeds. Axe herself missed two such wriggling projectiles by only small margins. Other pilots weren't so lucky. Target the larger concentrations, she advised those fighting around her. Ignore the infected ships. If they blow, we'll only have more hexes on our hands." She received no official acknowledgement of the orders, but they were obeyed. Squadrons, disrupted by the unusual and hostile nature of the debris field, reformed to strafe the densest concentrations of hexes they could find. Axe joined them, taking grim satisfaction every time her cannon blew such an agglomeration to pieces. Part of her mind paid attention to the wider battlefield. The missiles had performed a startling maneuver in mid-burn by breaking up into four smaller pieces, each capable of independent flight. Now numbering 16, they slipped through the first wave of defensive fire. Six mini-missiles were taken out in the next wave and five more in the third. That left five to hit the fleet unharmed. Axe winced as they struck. There were no explosions, as she had predicted. The Paramount was untouched, fortunately, but four of the larger support vessels were likely to turn if the hexes gained control. There might be only a couple of dozen in each mini-missile, but that could be enough, particularly if they infiltrated the ship's control systems. In retaliation, the Paramount launched a series of ground strikes against the origin of the missiles. Axe had expected this, too. Instead of saving the munitions for fending off the hexes they already had, they were potentially being wasted on the people who had sent them punishment could wait in her opinion better to be alive and angry than dead she turned her attention back to the fighters the debris field was much clearer than it had been with only a random scattering of individual hexes left the infected republic ships had come around and were accelerating headlong for the imperial fleet doing what she had feared they would do once the second fleet was identified to the people of Sabaton to Lima Zandrit the empire was enemy number one Everyone else had to wait their turn. Target the drives, she ordered the fighters. Only the drives. We don't want to break them up, whatever you do. We have to avoid creating another debris field for the fleet to wander into. How do we destroy them, then? Asked one of the pilots. We let gravity do it for us, she said. Once they can't maneuver, either the planet or the hull will drag them in. They're not the orders I'm receiving from Colonel Kalish, protested a squad leader. I know that. The Paramount was still worried that the approaching ships were intending merely to ram them. I'm the only authority you need to worry about out here. The first pilot who punctures the hull on one of these ships will get a torpedo up their afterburner. Understood? Understood. All right, you have your orders, people. Let's get to it. The fighters peeled off to pursue their new objectives. Meanwhile, the first infected Imperial ship was beginning to behave erratically. Master, I urge you again to move the Paramount to a safe distance. Where reason had already failed, she attempted flattery. Were the unthinkable to occur, we would be left without your leadership. Perhaps that would be prudent, Darth Kratos agreed. Max barely heard him. In the background, filling the bridge of the Paramount, a familiar voice was shrieking. She switched channels to the one Colonel Kalish had used to broadcast his message to the ground. We do not recognize your authority! For an instant, Axe thought that her mother was broadcasting to the Imperial ships. Then she realized, with something that might have been a twinge of disappointment, that the voice had the slightly wooden quality of a droid. Why a droid, and not Xandrit herself? While the fighters attacked the infected ships, and the Paramount slowly ascended out of danger... Axe considered the pros and cons of broadcasting a message herself. It might give her mother cause to hesitate before launching more hexes at the Imperial fleet. But what could she possibly say to this woman she hardly remembered? If she was alive at all? I am a Sith now? I have no family? That certainly wasn't going to help. The retaliatory strikes launched by the Paramount detonated on the surface of the world far below. What had already been a bright hotspot suddenly became a whole lot brighter. And Axe wondered if the question of her mother's survival was now completely moot. Two more missiles launched from a different hotspot entirely. Then the first of the infected Imperial ships exploded, spreading hexes all through the fleet. With the survival of her own kind now at stake, she forced herself to concentrate on what really mattered.
1: All I can say is, wow. Whoever thought that one man's vision could become this. Star Wars is the epitome of excellence, and part 8 of this story is no exception. As Star Wars fans, we couldn't ask for more. This part had me completely mesmerized, and I can't wait to find out what is going to happen next. The anticipation is killing me, and we can't find out what's going to happen until we finish this episode. So the final words will be the chosen quote of this installment, and it comes to us from George Bernard Shaw. He said, the only thing that is impossible is the thing you don't try. This quote encapsulates the essence of human potential and the significance of taking action in pursuit of our goals and dreams. It reminds us that limitations are often self-imposed, and the true barriers in achieving something lies in our own reluctance or refusal to make an attempt. At its core, this quote emphasizes the power of effort. It encourages individuals to confront their fears, doubts, and step outside of their comfort zone by suggesting that the only true impossibility lies in not trying. The quote acknowledges that failure may be a part of the process, but underscores the importance of embracing the journey and learning from our own experiences to transcend our own self-imposed limitations and embrace the power of effort, perseverance, and the pursuit of dreams and goals without limitations. I know that you can achieve whatever you set your mind to, and I think that's all I have for this episode. I hope you enjoyed Part 8 as much as I did, and I hope you will join me next time for more excitement and adventures in the Star Wars universe. Until then, may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel and was distributed by SwayCast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic's Fatal Alliance was read to you by Jason O'Dega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host Kyle and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.